0: Welcome all you weirdos, Krakowans, and everyone rumored to die in the pages of ASM number 26. It is time to receive your 48th Weird Dose of X. We are the mutant member of the Weird Science family. I am Jason, and joining me as always is Ruben. Ruben, how the heck are you today? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. I am not too thrilled about these issues, but I'm always happy to talk about them. Okay. Well, I'm I'm much happier with one than the other. So let's see if I talk you up or or maybe you talk me down. Could go either way. There's one I found interesting, but not, you know, revolutionary, and the other, which I thought was just goofy. Okay. Well, uh, before we get to those two issues, there's a a little bit of news this week. Nothing super X-related, but figured I'd mention it. Uh, Yes, as alluded to in the open, there is a tragic death coming in Amazing Spider-Man. I'm not going to spoil it here, even though it's been spoiled all over the internet. I'll just point out that Marvel has a giant get-out-of-death-free car just sitting there on Krakoa these days, and we've seen that that's not even limited to mutants. Whether or not they use that same you know technology to bring back the person who dies, because the person's obviously coming back, who knows, but hey, it could be Krakoa-related. Also, also again, rank speculation, that's what we do here, might this tie into why a certain mutant? ends up swinging around Manhattan playing Spider-Man. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, the other thing I have for this week is that X-Men Red writer Al Ewing is doing an Immortal Thor book. Uh, this is the third book in recent years with Immortal in the title. We had Immortal Hulk by Ewing, Immortal X-Men by Gillen, and now Immortal Thor also by Ewing. Now, do you think there's a connection between those books or did editorial just find the new adjective they like and they're just going to run it into the ground? Yeah, I think it's the adjective. Probably that one. These, oh, here's here's a new word we've used: amazing. We use spectacular, ah, immortal. I haven't used that before. Let's go with it.
1: Probably I don't true. understand. I don't understand the naming conventions, but Marvel
0: seems to love to throw these adjectives on things. It's not a bad one, so you know, I I would like to make a little you no. Know, some it must be a theory out there, something linking all the immortal books and, We'll see what people come up with. Okay, on to this week's books. The first one is X-Force number 40, The Ghost Calendars Part 1, written by Ben Percy, art by Paul Davidson, and Robert Gill, but Robert Gill just did pages one through four. Gill has been the main artist on this book since issue 21. Uh, He does those opening pages that are set on current timeline for koa. Davidson's going to be on the book for two more issues, and then Gill will return to art duties in issue 43. Which is when Fall of X kicks in. Uh, letters are by Joe Caramagna, designed by Tom Muller with Jay Bowen. Now, uh, Ruben, you know when you're watching a TV show and there's a scene where some very kind of lighthearted music is playing in the background, and you know that this means nothing too serious is gonna happen in that scene. No one's gonna get killed, there's not gonna be any, you know, announcements, no declarations. It's it's just for comedy. Have you seen that? You know what I'm talking about? Now the the CW Flash show did this a lot. When I watched it with my kid, we called it comedy music. When the comedy music is playing, everything that happens is just for giggles. And while the comedy music is playing, all the characters are slightly sillier versions of themselves—dumb characters, a little dumber; clumsy characters, a little clumsier, etc. It's only when the serious music kicks back in that you think, "Uh-oh, now it's getting real." When I read this issue of X Force, I hear comedy music playing in every panel. I—I I think this is probably the one that you thought was also kind of goofy.
1: Yeah. I, I didn't really like this and it to me maybe it's unfair to Ben Percy to say this, but I'm like, we just had <laughs> Sins of Sinister, right? Like
0: this feels like Sins of Sinister, the like bad version. <laughs> we've ha- I and mean, we've said that before. We've had like multiple bad versions of Sins of like, like or multiple other like beast in the Wolverine book, which I guess is also Ben Percy, but at least that, that felt serious right? This just feels goofy. We're we're not meant to take anything here seriously. We're all just here for a laugh and fill up a few issues before Fall of X starts up. And I think that's when serious things are going to happen again. Yeah.
1: And I'm going to blame the artist for this. I like the art. The art itself is actually good quality, but there's there's decisions that are made that really make the story goofy. Like the, I guess the second panel at the very start of this issue, we see old man Quentin Quire and he's got crooked teeth
0: and not too many of them left. Yeah. And he's having memory problems. This yeah, this is uh that's a a Robert Gill page, so that's not the the new artist. That is the old artist.
1: But it really undercuts the seriousness of this. It, it's kind of a cool story. I mean, you could have told this exact same story,
0: made it a little bit more serious. I probably would have been on board with it. Yeah, but. you could have. But like right in those two panels, you point to and it is Ben Percy announcing. Yeah, don't don't take this seriously. Okay, so uh, story wise, uh, we start off right where last issue ended on current day Krakoa where the newest version of X-Force had just killed a bunch of beast-created monsters thrown at them by somebody who doesn't matter. There's nothing here matters. Uh, so old man Kid Omega had just appeared from Portal, started talking about how he needs X-Force's help. Now, in this issue, it's turned around, and the elderly Quentin Quire is saying, hey, all you people are doomed unless you listen to me. There's a short internecine fight as Quentin convinces X-Force that he's really who he says he is. And he wins so easily... But it makes you wonder why he needs their help at all. He is. Mm-hmm. He's Kid Omega here. What, why does he need, you know, some, some goons to fight for him? Uh, Omega Red, somehow, is the only character written at all seriously here. He's not made into a goof. I wonder, he's almost like the opposite of comic relief, right? He is the mm-hmm. serious relief, if that's a thing. Uh, but so, so at this point, Quentin psychically grabs all the X-Force members and tosses them through to the other side of his portal. But, except for Deadpool. Whom he intentionally leaves behind, I guess he seems to resent having been replaced on the team by this goofball. But what I want to ask here is, why is old man Kid Omega in such a rush? He can travel through time. You know, there's no no hurry up, hurry up. You he can, can go to whatever point in time he wants. I guess he should yeah. be able to chill out on present day Krakoa as long as he wants. Explain things, talk to the Quiet Council, have a plan. Time travel logic. Oh well. Now, another odd thing, it, it seems like Deadpool is being intentionally excluded from the story, which is weird because if we're going to have a silly arc, why would we not want our silly character? Is he too silly? Or will we get some scenes over the next couple issues showing what Deadpool's up to on Krakoa? Yeah, unclear. I, I
1: yeah, Maybe he just, <laughs> I'm going to uh, slight Ben Percy here, maybe he realizes that he can only write you know the comic character one way, and he didn't want people
0: saying like, is this Deadpool or is this Quentin choir? Because they have the same type of voice in a lot of the scenes. Uh, yeah, everyone in this issue kind of talks like Deadpool, which is not my favorite kind of comedy. Okay, so we go through the portal, we turn the page, and, and uh, uh, the art gets better, actually. <laughs> that first <laughs> that first panel of <laughs> Paul Davidson art made me stop and go, wow. Um, yeah. where we see the group shot of Colossus, Sage, Domino, and Laura. Uh, I think that's probably my favorite panel of the issue. It really sets the scene. We see the crumbled buildings in the background, some skulls on the ground, the moon broken in two. I question the physics of that, but that doesn't matter. It's a comic book. Uh, And yeah, the, the characters all look great. They have these dynamic poses, these nice facial expressions. Looks really cool. So Quentin tells them all that this ruined world is the fault of obviously Beast. This is a world where Beast has won and has ruined everything. So. Like you mentioned, Ruben, that does sound kind of familiar. So mm-hmm. for now, I'm calling this world the Sins of Beast Timeline, or <laughs> SOB for short. So right after their arrival, we get what is clearly the most interesting plot point of the issue. Colossus yes. feels faint and kind of kills over. Uh, Quentin writes it off as time travel sickness, but we know something else relevant about Colossus. And this is confirmed on a data page from Chronicle. He's the, the story-based, mind-control mutant who works for Mikhail. Uh, who's this storyline been going forever. Chronicler had been writing the story of Colossus meeting, uh, and meeting up with old man Kid Omega, but then the story breaks off when Colossus gets sent through the portal. Wherever or whatever this SOB world is, Chronicler can't get there. And, and Again, a quibble, I say this every time, there's a couple lines of the data page that are not Chronicler's writing, just a verbal exchange that he has with Mikhail, and they're, they're written in brackets. It It doesn't make sense that they're written on this page. But that's how, that's how these pages have been used, so I guess I've complained about that before. But this, this is kind of neat. How much does Colossus know about how he's being controlled? We know he has more than suspicions. We saw that some issues ago when he left the painting for Domino. So now that he's free, we think he's free, what does he remember? And will he be able to talk to his teammates about it? What do you think? I mean, I hope so. <laughs> It'd be a really bad uh, writing
1: uh, like plot device to... Make a big deal out of this and then just not
0: address it at all. Yeah, I, I do appreciate that it is called out here, but it almost feels too serious to happen in this this arc, so we'll see what happens. All right, so there's not much time to contemplate that now because we need an action scene. Omega Red had been tossed through the portal first, and I guess he ran out of head because we see him fighting a group of monsters that look like beasts crossed with a their demon from the original Doom game. Did you ever play Doom? You're too young. <laughs> I days. wish I was
1: too young. Yeah, no, okay. I, I definitely. I grew up around that age. Okay,
0: does it look like yeah. a, a doom creature to you. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll find out that these are called beast priests, and Ben Percy seems oddly pleased with himself for that rhyme. I, I don't know. He seems to like it. Uh, Domino and Laura jump to the fight, and they eventually clear the level. But Omega Red is carried off to the next castle. Uh, So Quentin then takes our X-Forces off to meet the rest of what he calls the crew of the rebellion, which is, again, a super thinly sketched, no backstory, no world building thing going on here. We get a crowd of generic mutant types, none of whom matter at all. They don't have any dialogue, they don't have any actions, they're just set dressing. Oh, and we see Wolverine's head and spine preserved in some kind of a steampunk situation. Yeah, this part was just stupid as hell. Again, we're I, being I hated silly this so much. He can poke his claws out of the machinery, and he can say yes. He says the word "snicked." It's written in a dialogue bubble. We do we do see the the sound effects "snicked" too, but he says "snicked" like he's saying "I am Groot." That's basically all he says. Yeah, at this point, about Logan having been reduced to the situation is not explained, not treated as anything serious, just one more silly bit in a book full of silly bits and no one asks, it's just there. Uh as Quentin drops some exposition or exforcers about Beast having taken over the world via some new religion, I think Ben Percy might not like religion. Just just a hunch. But as that happens, we the readers see that the Beast Priest has left Omega Red on the clutches of another, even bigger baddie. This one looks like Beast crossed with a cyber demon from the original Doom game. And he's the final boss of this issue. So lots of Doom influence. I, I really do suspect that the word Doom appeared in the script that Ben Percy had of Paul Davidson. It just seems too, uh, these double references, again, unless I'm reading too much into it, I, I think that Ben Percy probably played a lot of Doom. So next we get a data page where we find out what the deal is with old man Kid Omega. We had thought he died in that battle with the whacked out Cerebro cradle and our old pal Chris dubbed the Hentai Helmet. You know, because all the tentacles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it turns out that, surprise, Quentin didn't die after all, but killed the helmet with a psionic blast. And in that moment, the helmet and Quentin, quote, experienced a convergence, which sounds kind of dirty, but I think just means that Quentin gained the ability to travel through time. Kind of related to the whole X-Lives, X-Deaths of Wolverine event that was happening at that time, I guess, because there was some time mm-hmm. travel there. Mm-hmm. So Quentin then immediately took advantage of that new power and scrammed through time without telling anybody and Krokoa what he was up to. Again, if you're a time traveler, you can literally take your time. Keep that in mind, listeners, if you ever come <laughs> into possession of a time machine. No need to rush. Yes. Also, before he left, he intentionally deleted himself on purpose all of his copies from the Cerebro backups so that he could be sure that Krakoa wouldn't create a redundant version of himself in his absence. I think it would have worked just as well to leave a note. Maybe right because I'd want I'd want that backup. He certainly used that backup enough times. We saw in the, in these issues, so yeah. I I don't I don't get it. it. Oh well. I I don't feel like this was what was intended when he disappeared. It seems like it was kind of made up after the fact, but who knows? I
1: kind of wish that Ben Percy would stop telling the most interesting parts of the story on the data pages.
0: <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Uh, this doesn't need to be a data page. It's just, and it doesn't exist in any real world place. We don't see where it might come from, who might've written it for whom. It's yeah. just an exposition dump. And Quentin yeah. could easily just explain this on panel given. Yeah. So make it been, like, where
1: are And then he tells us this. Great. <laughs> Maybe a little less but, silliness,
0: <laughs> a little more actual, you know, comic exposition.
1: Yeah. I almost feel like either he just doesn't know how to fit these story points into his story or there's a requirement that he has to do two data pages per issue and he doesn't know what to put in them.
0: So he just dumps these kinds of things in. That would be interesting to ask any of the, the ex-writers, of, is there a mandate, like a minimum number of, of data pages? It always feels like it's at least two, right? It does seem that way, yeah.
1: So I guess that's, you know, I've been against the idea of the end of the you know Krakoa era and I will continue to say I don't want to see a reversion to... The old status quo, but I think I'm ready for the data page to go away. It'll be nice to just read an issue without these text drops. There's a few people that do it well, right? Where it's like, oh, this is a cool little bit of information, but usually it's, been it's obviously, just jarring. Yeah.
0: It was cool when it was new and it was like graphically interesting or... Felt like an actual document that we just happened to pick up and find. Yeah, but yeah, not not everyone seems to be putting a whole lot of thought into it
1: these days. I also remember at the beginning we all thought, "Hey, there's going to be some big reveal as to like what these are, where they came from, you know, who uh, who wrote them, and that was going to be really exciting, right?" Like, oh, yeah, this that, is that
0: was a theory, but but now it's just whatever. <laughs> it's just info dump. <laughs> oh, well. Okay, so uh, jumping ahead to the final battle, such as it is. Uh, X-Force and the Ragtag Rebellion head off to save Omega Red and to kill Final Boss Beast, also known as the God of All Mutants. But when they get there, the, the battle's already over. Off-panel between scenes, Cyber Demon Beast had swallowed Omega Red, but then Arcady carved his way out from Boss Beast from the inside, killing him. Pretty gross. Uh, so, uh, the good guys win. Yay. Uh, I'm not sure if this Boss Beast is supposed to have been the actual Hank McCoy in this timeline, or if that even matters? Doesn't seem to matter to Ben Percy, because he's already ready to abandon this excuse for a timeline as quickly as possible. Our arc's not done, though. We have two more issues to fill before the gala. Quentin tells the team that there are yet more Beasts Gone Bad scattered throughout the timeline that the team needs to go defeat before they can rest. Again, time travel by the rush. And on the last page, we see one of these beasts, a robot-like version, who I guess is part beast and part Nimrod? Is that what you took from this this panel? Yeah, I'm not sure, because he's also got a diamond on his chest. He I thought does, maybe it was like a sinister mean. thing. He's got a big old red diamond on his chest, which may or may not mean anything. I guess we'll find out next time. Uh, the art on this page looks kind of different to me, too, but I, I guess it's still drawn by Paul Davidson. If you had just handed this page to me without context, I would have said, oh, John Romita. But... uh <laughs> Doesn't, doesn't his face look like a John Romita face? Yeah, no, I, I could totally see that, and so I'm laughing. It would be cool to see uh, John Romita doing some, some X-Men stuff, but he's kind of busy over in Spider-Man. Yeah. So, so, some questions. Why did Quentin need X-Force for this? Omega Red defeated Final Boss Beast really easily, didn't break a sweat, <laughs> uh, and Kid Omega tossed Omega Red around. So, you yeah. know, by that logic, you'd think that Kid Omega could have just won all on his own. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, by leaving the Sob timeline at the end, Old Man Kid Omega just abandons the other members of his rebellion. They don't—they don't need any help now. Their world is, you know, still ruined. You'd think that a super psychic around could could help them out, but oh, and head in the jar, of steampunk Logan. His his joke is over. We're not going to talk about him either. Kid Omega's got to go.
1: Yeah. Well, there's like a weird conversation about him saying that this isn't even the final beast. That throughout the timeline, beast is put in versions of himself right? So to control them, which is really a bizarre concept to me, to think that you'd have multiversal versions of yourself in place, I guess, to prevent the other timelines from messing with the timeline that you're in. But Yeah, it it's it's also kind of thought. feels
0: like that X-Lives, X-Deaths of Wolverine thing where Logan was going through time fighting various versions of... Uh, must have been Sabretooth? I forget, yeah. So, yeah, it's... Uh, one more question I have after this arc: Will Kid Omega be returning to Krakoa? If so, will he be coming back in old man version or back in original flavor? What do you, What do you think? Any Any random guesses? We have no information. It's got to be the original version. I can't imagine this being the new version of Quentin Quire. Yeah, I can't imagine old man Quentin being around for the long haul. So I think it's probably more likely that he just kind of goes off on his own, and we don't have Quentin around for a bit. That That's my guess. So yeah, overall, not my favorite kind of story, light and fluffy, just trying to kill time and not giving me a whole lot of fun along the way. The art is very, very much a highlight, looks great. So I'm giving this a 6 out of 10, mostly for the art.
1: Yeah, that's definitely where I'm at. This is telling a story that's supposed to be big, but feels incredibly small and disconnected. And it doesn't shock me that other writers aren't even bothering with mentioning this besides the occasional like, oh, where's Beast, right? Or just kind of like a flippant comment about that. But nobody is like picking up any of these crumbs and weaving them into
0: their story. And I wouldn't either. Unless you're a completist and need to own every issue, I'd say you should feel very safe just not picking up those next two issues and and maybe jumping back in when Fall of X hits and, and seeing what goes on then. Alright, next issue, and the one I like kind of a lot more, is X-Men number 22. Oh yeah, for sure.
1: For sure. I not, I didn't mean to be so negative to say this is a bad issue. This was good. Okay, okay. But um, it still, to me, feels a little bit like it's treading water. It feels like everything is just really stalling out a bit leading up to this
0: Hellfire Gala. I, I do... I have a little more of a positive take on it, and we'll see if if you agree by the end, or maybe not. Okay. Yep. This is X-Men 22, Bring on the Bad Guys, or what I'm calling the Orcus issue. Written by Jerry Duggan, art by Joshua Cassara, letters by Clayton Cowles, designed by Tom Muller, with Jay Bowen. Yep. Now, this issue is all about Orcus, right? We have all the Orcus people on the yep. cover. We see we spend more time with Orcus than anybody else, really. We don't even really get a whole lot of our X-Men team Right if even if you look at the the cast of characters page a lot of our X-Men aren't even in the book which you know I like
1: the cover and as as an aside I think you're right about the Nimrod thing I just I'm looking at this and I see
0: Nimrod with a diamond in his chest too so that's got to be who the beast was Yeah I maybe that was just Nimrod always had a diamond in his chest and we never yeah. really thought Focused twice it. about it cuz yeah. it was just a design thing but now now we see a, di- a red diamond and we go oh red diamond uh, oh well uh so uh this issue once again features that verbose omniscient narrator to start off every scene. Not my favorite technique, but it's some, something Duggan's been consistent with. So I guess that's just how he's telling this book. I have to applaud the artist, though. I really thought the the art in this was damn good. Oh yeah, this is this is fan, fantastic art. I love how all the characters look. They look they look detailed, but not muddled. Uh, yeah, the, just their facial acting and their poses is terrific. Uh, Yeah. And, and the action is told well, some some cool camera angles. You know, that's this conversation up front is told, this could just be, you know, a two shot, you know, close up, two shot, close up, two shot. But Joshua Kassara really varies the angles and makes it look super cool.
1: Yeah. In a way, it's as a weird Hawkspox throwback, too, right? Where oh, yeah.
0: That, we had two the, like, people talking on a park bench. That's, yep. That makes us think of Hotspots. Yeah, which is a nice thing I just thought of, and it's a good yeah. Glad you brought it up. So we're at this little conversation on the park bench, and we pass the Bechdel test in this very first scene because we see Omega Sentinel having a nice chat with Opal Tiver, if that's how you say her name, uh, on a park bench directly in front of the Doomed X Men Treehouse. And yes, I am going to call it the Doomed X Men Treehouse (laughs) from now until the Hellfire Gala, because we know (laughs) what happens. Uh, Opal is, as you may recall, one of the horticulture ladies that Jonathan Hickman created back in his X Men number five. They were yeah. very controversial. I I always liked them. A lot of people hated them, but I thought they were pretty fun. Yeah,
1: they're they're interesting to me. I think they're they're humorous, but could be you yeah. know devious. So I, I think it's an interesting.
0: Character. Yeah, they're they're getting more serious. Yeah. Uh, the last time I remember seeing them was in Inferno number one, the start of Hickman's farewell to the X books, but. The fandom wiki tells me that they've made several appearances in the X-Men Unlimited Infinity comic, which which mm-hmm. I haven't read. Which I stopped reading, yeah. Yeah, I think I, I think like a lot of people, I stopped reading that during the whole X-Men green silliness. I'm like, yeah, I made nope, it a I little, guess little bit further than that, but it just seemed pointless, so I stopped. So I don't know that we've ever seen Opal kind of on her own apart from her friends. And I don't think we've seen her in this Charlie Brown looking cardigan either. Uh, but maybe it was laundry day, I don't know. Not what I would choose to wear to a clandestine meeting. (laughs) Oh, Opal. Uh, Yeah, so she's meeting with uh, Karima Sharpandar. Again, that's how you say her name. Uh, We don't know what Karima said in whatever DM she sent to Opal to to set up this meeting. And Opal didn't even know who she was going to meet here. But whatever was said was enough to scare Opal into bringing along a thumb drive with all of horticulture's research into the Krakoan gates. Now, back in Inferno, We saw that Orcas had purchased Krakoan gate monitoring software from horticulture, so there's a pre-existing relationship there. I guess now they just want all the information and they don't want to pay for it. So Karima gets Opal to hand over the thumb drive by threatening to out her to her compadres that Opal has been using Krakoan mind meds to treat some kind of an Alzheimer's-ish ailment. And as Karima leaves, she gives Opal some free advice. She says that the muons quote, put a Trojan horse into their medicines. She doesn't say what this will do, but the implication is that it's pretty bad, and it's definitely, absolutely, 100% being put in there by the mutants. So says Omega Sentinel Karima Shapandar of Orcus, and, you know, why would she lie? Uh, Next, we get a data page, and this is, you know, one of our... We've seen this data page before. It's got a kind of cool design. It's like an Orcus org chart. Past versions have had various names redacted. I couldn't tell you which of these names are new. Maybe Judas Traveler, who is shown as being in charge of uh, the culture slash narrative oblique strategy. Did you see anything else here? Is is new that we? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not
1: memorizing this. These word <laughs> charts. I, I
0: remember all the black bars we would see. Like, oh, yeah, oh, I, I do I think,
1: remember that bit. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Long and Modoc
0: and Doctor Stasis was definitely crossed off.
1: I don't know who Judas Traveler is either. So I did. That look means him nothing up.
0: to me. The internet, I don't know anything about him other than what I just found. The internet tells me that he's a Spider-Man bad guy, a psychologist who acquired illusion casting powers. Mysterio sort of a thing, maybe? Interesting. And apparently, he also appears in an X-Men Infinity comic. So maybe we <laughs> should start reading those. And he also appeared in an issue of Steve Orlando's Marauders, which I'm i am not going to read. Sorry. Yeah. I'll read Infinity comic a thousand times before I go back and read that.
1: I would say the other thing that's funny to me is... When Orcas was originally presented, didn't they have members of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well as these baddies? It doesn't they seem did, like the yeah. S.H.I.E.L.D. influences yeah. <laughs> <laughs> persisted. They've quietly exited Orcus, apparently.
0: They've kind of all, yeah, a certain segment of the group has really, really taken over. It's like when two companies merge and one culture just outcompetes the other. Yeah. I think that's what happened here. Now, there is one potentially interesting, maybe new bit of information on this page. It's that last paragraph and the bit up top. Uh, the upshot is that, yeah, Orcus was created specifically to address the mutant problem, but after, quote, the mutant question is resolved, ominous, they plan on allowing for a bit of mission creep. At that point, yeah. they'll just go ahead and tackle all those other non-mutant superheroes or superhumans too, which, you know, that seems kind of a long way off, or Maybe after the Hellfire Gala, maybe that's when they'll start on that plan. Yeah. Next, onto a scene of a group of Orca's baddies openly flying around New York City again. With in people you think might want to hide <laughs> a little, bit. <yeah>, a bathtub, <laughs> kind of a, a boring version of the Fantastic Car is what I thought of. But yeah, <laughs> they spent a lot of time designing the characters and just you know rectangle with a logo on the front for their uh, their transport.
1: I mean, in a way, it's 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 a striking design, but I just laugh. It looks so. Land. It, it
0: really does. It makes the shuttlecrafts from Star Trek look like, you know, amazing wonders of design. Okay, so what they're doing here is they want to tre- test out their Trojan horse. Yes, surprise! There is a Trojan horse in the med- meds, but it was put there by Orcus, not by Krakoa. So Modoc uses a supersonic frequency to activate the Trojan horse in just one person, just a test. Uh, this one gentleman who has used the drugs was sleeping in his fancy New York apartment. And he is put right into fight or flight mode, so strong that he bangs his head into his fancy bedroom window, uh, headbutts it until it breaks, and it allows him to leap out to his splattery death. yuck so yeah, this seems to be a pretty extreme escalation on the part of Orcas, who again, like you like you referred to, were at least nominally defenders of humanity, right That was their purpose. If they deploy this Trojan horse at scale, that's going to kill. Thousands, millions of regular human beings. Yes, sure they'll they'll be able to blame it on Krakoa, but at what cost, Ruben? At what cost? Yeah, I, I guess that's what happens when you invite supervillains into your organization. Within <laughs> Charles Xavier would never make a mistake like that. Oh uh, uh, yeah, that's funny. So, how did that Trojan horse get there? Do you uh have have you figured that out? I mean, weren't they hijacking the meds at some point? Now, specifically, I read a pretty compelling theory in the comments on the House to Astonish blog, which is where I steal some of my best theories. A commenter there calls back to last year's Hellfire Gala, that, that one shot mm-hmm. near the beginning of that issue. Doctor Stasis tells Faye Long and Evil Robot Morra that, you "Now, while you're having fun, you know, messing around with Mary Jane, he'll be quote doing science." And then later in that issue, we had a weird page. Him, like, kind of whistling and being happy and messing around with some cohen looking tech. Mm. He then reports back to Orcus that, quote, I'm ahead of schedule on delivering our payload. So yeah. it seems to make sense that that payload was this Persian horse. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That was a, a cool uh, I did forget callback about there. Yeah. And going back even further, a couple months earlier, with issue eight of this volume of X-Men, which was the MODOK issue with the, the cruise ship. There we hear MODOK talk about Project Amy, which could be short for amygdala, the part of the brain that this Trojan horse seemed to act on. And that issue, MODOK tested Project Amy on the crew and passage of a cruise ship, made them all violently attack each other, which was like the fight half of the fight or flight response. So MODOK was working on this project even before he joined ORCUS, which happened he was recruited in issue nine of X Men. So that is actually some, some pretty neat continuity there. It's done kind of subtly. I was happy to see that. All right. Next scene we move on to Chicago, which I had forgotten was Chicago until I went back and, and read the overly verbose narration because I just assume all cities in Marvel are New York City unless I'm you know, unless I like see the St. Louis Arch or the you know, the Capitol buildings. I just assume it's it's Manhattan or Queens, but but it says nope, it's it's uh, Chicago. It's at a pop up Orca's clinic that offers to treat mutants by suppressing their X gene. You know, that's kind of an an old tune that gets played a lot in these uh, these books. All you know, that's you're a bad guy if you're trying to suppress mutants. It's supposed to be by consent only, but when one green gentleman changes his mind and wants to back out. They don't want him to leave. So that's where the X-Men arrive, and we get a pretty decent action scene. They discover Dr. Stasis is there, and he claims, this is weird, unless I'm reading this wrong, I think he claims that he has suppressed his own X-Gene. So question, Ruben, why would Dr. Stasis, a clone of Nathaniel Essex created in 1895, have an X-Gene? Is that what he says there on page uh, 13? He says, I'm living proof that the X-Gene can be treated. Is that such a surprise? Are we sure
1: that's Doctor Stasis? I think so. I mean, he doesn't have the white face, right? I guess he does His have. His forehead the, is covered. Yeah, I just thought he was like random, random, random daddy. scientist?
0: Yeah, he's, evil he's scientist. drawn so detailed. Maybe, maybe uh, that's probably I mean, he the does best have. Reading.
1: He does have a mustache, but yeah, it'd be weird if this was Doctor Stasis and he was saying, "Okay, that he's so I, I guess I guess
0: that's the answer." He's not actually Doctor Stasis. He's just he's just some dude. That's fine. Okay. I wonder what his backstory is. Maybe we'll learn about it. So that makes uh, a couple sentences of mine completely moot, so I'm going to skip those. (laughs) (laughs) I should have checked with you beforehand. Okay, (laughs) anyone out there, if you were wondering if it's Dr. Stasis, probably not. So the other cool thing in this scene is that one of the masked orcas goons is kind of a lot tougher than a generic orcas goon should be, knocking both Cyclops and Forge right on the rear ends and he's revealed to be that wolverine-looking robot from the cover. Now, I really want you to compare and contrast in your head this Logan-based monster with the one we just saw in X-Force. Super different. Kind of similar concepts, kind of, sort of, but that one was very silly, and this one is actually pretty scary.
1: Yeah, this was very scary and very cool-looking, and it looks more formidable, right? Like a jar with some claws sticking out of it
0: doesn't... Look yeah, scary. The reveal here makes it kind of look like a cross between a Logan skeleton and like a, a Terminator, a yep. T 1000, I'm getting, like from a glowing eye. Yep. Pretty scary. Uh, so, Orca's has embraced recycling and has put <laughs> into use all those adamantium skeletons that Wolverine had been lie- leaving lying around, which is, as I read not even leaving lying
1: around. Yeah. Remember, there was that whole era where the X Men were just attacking their, their Orcus Forge, right, over and over and over again. Yeah, I think they were mostly
0: in, in Inferno again. I'm I'm seeing yeah. several Inferno references here.
1: Yeah, and they were like, "Why are they doing this?" Right, like, "Why are they not learning from their mistakes?" But regardless, they probably collected probably thirty, forty of these like Wolverine skeletons.
0: Yeah, which is is pretty fun to see that coming back to bite uh, the mutants in the ass. That's that's pretty good. So this Logan Bob pops claws and cuts off Forge's mechanical leg which Cyclops then uses, like, a baseball bat to smack the Loganbot around. Now, I didn't know or had forgotten that Forge even has a mechanical leg. Oh,
1: yeah, I know. I knew that because this this always freaking happens. Like, <laughs> okay. I want to say, if you were, like, to count the number of times he's had his leg chopped off, including by, <laughs> like, cable, it's mm-hmm. a lot. It's a okay. ton of times. Like, it's it's sort of a
0: running joke in my mind. But. Okay, is is that why he always leads with that leg? Because he doesn't want the good one chopped off? I, I guess so, yeah. i never seen somebody explain that. but <laughs> that, Yeah, I, I looked it up, and it is canon that he lost his biological right hand and right leg while he was fighting in the Vietnam War. Marvel sliding timeline, maybe now that's the Gulf War, who knows. Uh, and also, has has Forge ever been resurrected on Perkoa? I can't think of
1: it. This but is I one of those yeah, 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 weird
0: things where you'd think... They might you fix it. Come back without your disability. But yeah, they don't they don't do that. I guess he chose to keep his mechanical parts just like you know, Cyclops chooses to have to use the visor and all yeah. those other ones. There's too. that
1: Morlock woman that has like the scarred up face. I can't remember her name either, but
0: it's the same thing. Yeah, they don't want to get accused of any kind of an ism. Uh yeah. and, and plus eventually you know, they want these characters to look and act more or less like their traditional version, so they're not gonna undo that. Okay, back to the scene. Uh, The only way our X-Men can think to stop the Loganbot is for Firestar to go nuts with the microwaves, which blows up the non-Adamantium parts of the Loganbot and I guess miraculously doesn't kill anybody else despite a building-sized explosion right there in Chicago. So, hey, good job to Firestar. Now we get a data page, and this this is a good data page, I'd say, and it's a letter from Forge to Emma. And it says at least three interesting things. Number one, he praises Firestar's progress as an X-Man, which, fair enough, she's kind of new to the whole X-Men thing and she's doing well. Number two, he admits to, quote, half-assing it as the mutant gadget guy. He says he could have turned Krakoa into an impenetrable fortress, which would have been useful back in uh, Judgment Day. Uh, but he didn't really trust his fellow mutants, especially the Quiet Council, to use that kind of power responsi- responsibly. And we know he has a past experience of his abilities being exploited and misused, you know, yeah. the whole neutralizing storm thing, for instance. Yeah. So this is clearly a retcon of uh, Forge's actions during this era, but one that kind of makes sense. Did you Did you agree with that? Yeah, definitely.
1: And you know, I think I started out complaining like why is it such a dope and goofball in the kind of early appearances of him, where I'd always thought he was more of a serious character. This sort of ex- answers that question, right? That maybe he's just kind of clowning around
0: as a stall tactic to some yeah, extent. At, at least as a, a a headcanon explanation, I think that works. I like it. So number three, Forge wants his treehouse technology to be given away to humanity, all of humanity, and for free, not sold to them like the mutant meds. He says that this tech could quote end homelessness globally in under a month, which seems to oversimplify the problem of homelessness, <laughs> right? I think there's probably other... You can't just... Sure, being able to build structures quickly and cheaply is great, but I think it's probably more complicated than that. But he is an engineer guy, and engineer guys do tend to see all problems as engineering problems, so works for the character. We do have a gratuitous mention of, quote, late-stage capitalism Because I guess Duggan needs to score some Twitter points with his Twitter buddies, but otherwise one of the better data pages, so I'll pretend I don't see that and just move on. Anything else you want to mention about about that letter? But yeah, it it makes sense this would exist in the world, and it tells us some things in a way that probably wouldn't make as much sense on panel. Like I guess you could do this reveal of of Forge on panel, but this letter works. I like it.
1: Yeah, I don't mind this one as well as as much. I don't think that. Um, I guess when it's like a data page that looks like it's something that came out of the world, it, it irks me a lot less than when it's just it helps like a, a lot for sure. Ungrounded sort of narrative that makes no sense.
0: Yeah, it, sometimes it just looks like a page of the writer's notes he never got around to turning into story. But this is, this is a good one. So we're nearly done with this, with the book. So let's let's wrap it up. We get one page inside the doomed treehouse. Where Forge points out to Cyclops that hey, Orvis probably has more than a couple of these adamantium skeletons, and you know we should probably look out for that. I mostly like this page for one background detail. Now, did you spot a a cool background detail as here too? Right in the middle of the page, we see a Wolverine skeleton wearing a Santa Christmas hat yeah, and strung with Christmas lights, which yeah. seems like a very Forge things to have around. So that made me giggle. I like that. <laughs> And then on the very final page, we see the Orcus ape scientists, always glad to see the ape scientists, hard at work on the next generation of Loganbots, or as they call them, ex-sentinels. I still like Loganbots better. They say yeah. they have 10, or perhaps X, of these ex-sentinels coming online already, and now they want to try camouflaging one of them in human flesh, which, I mean, that is foreshadowing if you've ever seen foreshadowing. Yes. Yeah. I do, I do really love that last panel. Two ape scientists fist bumping each other to celebrate their success. That, <laughs> that I mean, I'm going to save that panel. That is a cool, cool panel.
1: Yeah, the art looks really cool. I haven't even really liked the Firestar redesign that much, but when he, when she's fighting the X Sentinel, she actually mm-hmm. looks pretty badass. So she does. Like, okay, that's neat. It, in part, maybe because the artist spends a lot of time stylizing the fire. I guess the microwave beams of hers. It just adds some nice texture to the
0: look. Yeah, well, for, for Firestar, I think there's a risk of having her look too much like Phoenix, right? So it doesn't really completely get away from that. I still, I, I see, you know, long-haired lady throwing fire around with blazing eyes, and I'm always going to think Phoenix in an X-Men book, but it, it does all right.
1: Wild speculation. I actually was wondering, is this going to be a new paramour for Cyclops now that there's like a schism? Ooh. That's like that redhead, little, uh, badass, <laughs> he, goody shoes. He two does issues, have a type, yeah. <laughs> checks all the boxes, man. <laughs> and that would yeah. be an
0: interesting character development, I think. It, it would. It really, really would. So yeah, the fantastic art, like I've said a, a bunch of times, great stuff. Uh, a, a pretty good issue. I think probably one of the best in this run of the X-Men title. We see another aspect of the Orca's threat, one that is distinct from but connects thematically with the other threats, right? How they used Kurt and the other monsterized mutants in, in that side of the story, what they're going to do with Captain Krakoa, all these things to kind of make the mutants look bad in front of the whole world. Yeah. Uh, and the meds are super, super important to and foreign policy going way, way back to Hawkspox. And yeah. if people stop trusting those, that's a big lever Krakoa can't use anymore. Yeah. You know, yeah, I think you have
1: convinced me this is a lot better
0: issue than I thought.
1: Cool, nice. I enjoyed it. I, like I said, I when I, I enjoyed I it. I thought it was talking someone out than talking them down. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I enjoyed it, and I thought all his details were interesting. But I didn't think
0: this was a you know step along a bigger path. But actually, probably is. Yeah, and it really helped me when I, I did read those those connections to past issues, which was I, I like that kind of continuity, and it's done well here. Yeah, and like you said, I, I really like this issues version of Forge. Not so much of a dude, bro. And yeah, I like your theory about how maybe he was just kind of putting on a little bit in earlier issues. Uh so yeah, the callback to all those Wolverine skeletons, very cool. How do those kamikaze missions ever seem like a good idea? I guess he didn't have <laughs> any any better ideas at the time, so oh well. Yeah. But yeah. It it is good to see the the sowing and the reaping. So overall a solid, solid issue. And again, to me it feels like it's leading into Hellfire Gallon Fall of X. And not, not just, just in a holding pattern, yeah. like some of the other books, waiting for yeah. shoes to drop. So I'm going to ex- give
1: this... I would expect the camouflage Logan to show up and cause havoc at the gala. That or could the, very much be a gala thing if it doesn't know, happen no. in
0: this next issue of uh, X-Men itself. So yeah, I'm going to give this 8.3 out of 10. A pretty good score for me. Yeah. How about you?
1: Logan? i just go an 8, but for sure it was cool. I, again, I would laugh uh, or point out and sort of joke about, you know, clandestine Wolverine things. <laughs> Didn't we get that in the Wolverine issue with, you know, Beasts
0: Legion of Wolverines? We did. There's a lot of Wolverine stuff going on, which yeah, you know, he is of, like, he is the most elaborated character, so they're gonna they're gonna use that just that iconic image of those claws coming out. Anytime they can shoehorn that into an issue in any version, they're gonna go for it and can't blame them. Now the, the promo for next issue promises Cometh the Stark Sentinels. So, I guess we're getting that Iron Man kind of crossover you know, pretty soon, which could be cool. Yeah, I, I like that too. That's cool. Okay, so that is all we have to say about the books this week. Uh, next week, there's not a whole lot coming out. In fact, the only book that we've been talking about that comes out next week is Bishop War College, number four of five. I think maybe they're pairing back a little bit as we compare for Hellfire Gala, Ball of X. So, we might have a pretty short podcast next week, or maybe Ruben and I will decide to, you know, talk about something else as well. But definitely check out Bishop War College, which hasn't been our favorite book, but could have some cool stuff. So until then, hey, hey, Ruben, what is it that we say at the end of every Weird Dose of X podcast? <laughs>
1: yeah, I got to read more X-Men comics because they're not coming out
0: <laughs> right now. Catchy.
1: Bye. <laughs>